Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. I'm joined by um, Spin 1038 presenter Michaela Hayes because Michaela, you had a you had a pretty bad experience at the Elton John concert. Tell me what happened. I did, and of all places, I didn't expect it to happen there. So I have a stomach, so I want an ostomy bag, and when I need to, like you know empty my ostomy bag to mm. put it forth straightly I um, I use the disabled toilet so I have a card to use it I'm allowed to use it I always feel kind of self-conscious using it but it's re- I, I really hate having to do it in a toilet that's not a cubicle because there's yeah. so many weird noises and stuff so I was queuing for the toilet and some woman was walking by and she was like are you for real and I won't repeat the rest of it because we will get in trouble but there were f- profanities shouted at me for queuing for the toilet I was like what like, it made me feel really uncomfortable and I didn't have my bag with me. So I couldn't even show her the card, the card. to be like, I can use it. So when you say this lady started questioning you and, and shouting profanities, Michaela, um, it, it was because she, she thought you were using the disabled toilet. Yeah, because there was a very unnecessarily. large queue. Yeah, there was yeah. a huge queue for the female toilets because there always is, There you always know? is, yeah, and yeah. If it wasn't stoma related and it genuinely was, I would have queued for the toilet because mm. I know what it's like waiting and it takes anyone who has to use the disabled toilets. Like it does take a little bit longer, whether it's stoma or, you know, other things. So, yeah, she just started shouting at me and then like I went out and I was like, I have a stoma. And she just walked off. I was like. Oh, so you actually started to engage with her? Yeah, I, she was like, I have a stoma. And she just walked off, didn't even look back, didn't do anything. So I was real. My friend heard it and came out and was like are you okay I was like yeah but it was really mm. embarrassing yeah so then, because presumably while you're in, even in the queue to use the, the disabled toilet um, I'm assuming there's a lot of people there yep. standing around yes I did show it to the two women behind me then I was like I have and they were like you don't need to justify need it to, to us yeah. you don't need to show us and I was like but I do I, and they were like no we believe you I was like okay because I just I, I felt bad then about myself and then I kind of felt a bit upset and then I felt a little bit angry because there's the whole campaign not every disability is visible. That's what I want to talk about um, as well, Michaela. Like it's, I suppose you have in 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 not so many words an invisible illness yeah. effectively and, yeah. and because um, maybe people don't see it straight away then does this happen often that people nearly don't believe? Yes. You? Yeah, it happens quite a lot because I suppose I don't know. I think maybe people haven't have a particular image, and they know that like not every disability is visible. And to be honest, like I wouldn't clar- like it, to me, it's not a disability. There are just times when I need mm. to use that toilet for comfort and for yeah. ease and all of that. So yeah, I think people still have an image of what they think people who should have access to them toilets look like personally yeah. and because they'd look at me and go oh she's a young girl she's blah 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 well a young lady they, yeah. they'd be like she's just skipping the queue she's just doing whatever and I'm not and it's really it is really embarrassing mm. and I don't want to have to what, and I spent like because I had to use that like my stomach was full like I don't want to be having to show that to people you know what I mean I know and and, and and nor should you have to I mean as you made the point earlier earlier, you you have the card that yeah. would even give you um, accessibility to, to use the the disabled toilet um, an invisible illness like does this happen frequently though this kind of behaviour Yes, yeah, no, every, since I, so when I got diagnosed with Crohn's, they actually, if you sign up to the ISCC, they give you, you can get a toilet card, which is that you can use a disabled toilet or say if you're in 
a shop or whatever and they don't have public toilets that you can use it. It's to save you from having an accident because a lot of people can have them mm. with inflammatory bowel diseases. And again, when you're standing there, people will stare at you and look at you and be like, you're okay. So I used to stand there and like wave my card around. I'd like have it in my hand and there'd be old people going by tutting at me and I'd be like, no, 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 I can use it. I can <laughs> use cars, it. Yeah. Um, and I have spoken to the ISEC about it because it's a great initiative that they do and it is brilliant. Mm. But they find it as well. A lot of people then come back and go, they're getting people throwing them looks or saying things to them. So yeah. Tell me a little bit about your diagnosis, if you don't mind. Oh, my diagnosis was, um, it, was a, it was a very long diagnosis. So I kind of started struggling with um, Crohn's symptoms, kind of like bleeding from the back passage and stuff like that when I was a teenager. But because Crohn's is something that kind of uh, goes into remission and comes back and goes into remission and comes back, every time they were to do scopes or stuff like that, it would be fine. So it took them 10 years to diagnose me. Okay. So then eventually I had such a fantastic GP and my granny was amazing. They kept fighting. They were like, you're not okay. Like you're, I was six down at one stage. Like I was tiny. Um, so then I got diagnosed and then it was quite advanced by the stage they did. So I had to start on injections. So I'm immunocompromised as well because I'm still on them. And then it just had become such a painful and unpleasant experience. Mm. I was given the option of getting a stoma if I wanted to. And I said, yeah, and it's the best thing I've ever done. Really? Yeah. Because, oh. I, it's, it, you know, you, you mentioned it a little earlier as well, Michaela. It's it's probably not something you commonly associate yeah. with somebody of, of, of your age, you know, to because people tend, I suppose, wrongly, typically to think that this is, you know, something maybe that, that older people have. Like, yeah. is there some relief when you got there? Was there some relief when you got the diagnosis? When I got the diagnosis of Crohn's, yes, I cried with happiness because... Really? Yeah, I genuinely, it made me go, I'm not mad. Because you've got 10 years mm. of having every test under the sun. And they're like, no, we can't find anything. We can't find anything. And then eventually I was like, oh my God, they found an answer. And then I knew it could be treated. So there was a plan to treat it. Whereas before that, they were like, well, we can't find anything. So we can't do anything. So yeah, I was I, I was genuinely happy to yeah. have an answer. Yeah. Um, was it a tough decision to choose to get the stoma? No, I was so ready for it. I used to... because. Sometimes crowns can be two ways. You're either on the toilet all the time or for me, that's how it was. And then it just kind of flipped and reversed. And I would go up to six weeks without going to the toilet. So imagine the pain all the time. So yeah, I was, it just, it was amazing. I ended up getting it like the day the hospitals shut down for COVID. And then I got out of the hospital the day the country shut down for COVID. So while everyone was freaking out about lockdown, I was recovering from surgery, having a great time because no one else could do anything either. Yeah, yeah. So I know it it meant you weren't, I suppose, out of the socialisation and and the loop. Um, But day to day, you know, with it, I mean, obviously, as you say, you can can use um, uh, disabled toilets, but it's when people then question I suppose yeah. you know why are you using the toilet or yeah. what's wrong with you nearly is, is suppose the vibe you get from people yeah I've been very um, vocal and kind of uh, I was going to say brazen but I don't even know if it's brazen I've been very vocal about mine mine I call her Paloma the Stoma because <laughs> they said to name it and then when it acts okay. up because I've no control yeah. you're not giving out about your body you're giving out about a different entity so me and all my friends call it Paloma and if it's ever acting up they're like oh is Paloma acting up today I'm like yeah she is yeah. so it's it's a disassociation and for me kind of I have a psychological thing I wear black bags because they make me feel like I'm not sick whereas when I have the skin colour ones on I feel sick so 
if I had happened to be wearing a skin colour bag at the three arena, I wouldn't have shouted to anybody. Yeah. And being, but because it's the black one, it's a kind of psychological thing. I was like, no, I have one. And I, I have posted, I posted my entire recovery journey about it on social media. Yeah. I do kind of post the anniversary because like, it's nice being in like entertainment or on the radio. It's nice to be able to raise awareness as well. And it's nothing to be ashamed yeah. of. So no. many people have them and they don't talk about them because mm. they're ashamed. There, there, is, there is that sort of, um, well, I'm not saying there is, but from talking to you, Michaela, and, and others, um, still, I suppose, a stigma yeah. attached to it. Yeah. it's. I think it's because people don't understand. I suppose that's something that I'm going to have to go through as well. I haven't dated anybody since I've got mine. Because I still have, although I'm so brazen and so vocal about it, I haven't been in a situation where I've met someone and it may be romantic and then for me to go to them, oh, I go to the toilet in a bag. So that's the bit where I feel awkward. But I know okay. a lot of people would feel awkward day to day. But day to day, I'm fine. It's just if they don't know and then the thoughts that they might reject me because I have this, which is more shame on them. Mm. But it, People aren't educated. But, they don't understand. Yeah. They don't get it. So I can't really hold it against them either. So is that a not, maybe worry is too strong of a word? But is that something that's on your mind? That, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I can understand that. Yeah, like it's. I suppose when you're you're yet to kind of find yourself in that situation, it's yeah. it's not knowing what that response will be. And I, I'm sure what happened to you at the the gig the other night, you know, that's that's on your mind. It's you know, humiliating. Sure it's kind of people are. It's it's like someone's looking that you're lesser. Or you know mm. what I mean? It's just I don't know. It's just yeah. It's a bit of a it's a funny situation. But I I, I want to um I suppose I'm interested in chatting to other people today on the show as well who um maybe their experience of of an invisible illness too. Um, if you want to get in touch with us here in the program, please please do so. But um, Michaela, you 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 do great work, I suppose, in raising awareness. You know, around. I like to, yeah, I like to try to, and there has been a lot of people who I don't know who have reached out on social media and we've become friends from it or we've chatted okay. about it or they might be considering surgery and they'll ring me and, you know, I chat to them about it. It's not all roses, but I'll tell no. them kind of my opinion. So it's a nice community that we have yeah. and it's really nice for embracing new people who are coming into it as well because... So, so many people have them and you don't realise. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 absolutely. Um, listen, thank you for your time here in the programme today. And thank for you. Yeah, and just for being so honest about it, you know, and I think that's really important in terms of, um, well, raising awareness, yeah. as you said as well, and, and in turn then removing the stigma. Um, Spin 103A presenter, Michaela Hayes. Michaela, thank you for joining us here on Lunchtime Life. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this texture as well says my husband has um, has chronic and had surgery uh, nine years ago, 19 years ago, apologies as well. His stoma is called Jimmy, says this listener. Trudy is with us on the line. Trudy, are you living with an invisible illness? Hi, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. It was great to, to hear Michaela speak there. Yeah. Tell us your story, Trudy. Um, so, yeah, I also live with an invisible illness. I have Lyme disease. Um, it was diagnosed about two years ago. Um, I was sick for, been sick for um, four and a half years. So I was undiagnosed for two, well, misdiagnosed with lots of other illnesses for about two and a half years. Um, and that's quite common with Lyme. A lot of people are misdiagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia or sometimes even MS um, and that that really is because the diagnostic um, 
criteria for Lyme in Ireland is uh, very poor. So uh, most people have to uh, pay quite extensively to get a specialist testing done abroad. Once you got the diagnosis, how did that change things, Trudy? Um, There was a lot of relief. I'm under a consultant in the and the matter who there's only one consultant in the country that treats chronic Lyme and it's and it's private because the HSE doesn't acknowledge um chronic Lyme disease. Um so it was a mixture of a lot of relief and like, okay, finally I'm seen and I'm heard and you know, because I'd been met with a lot of this is all in your head by doctors for years. Um and so yeah, there was a lot of a lot of relief um, and hope but also fear of like, you know, what is what does this mean? How long is it going to take to to get better? Will I get better? You know, how do I live with this? Yeah. Um. What does it do to my life? Um. But yeah, there was a lot of um. I suppose renewed hope as well because once you have a language for a thing, it does change how you relate to it as well. Can you just describe your or t- tell us maybe a little bit about your symptoms, Trudy? Yeah, so I'm, um, God, I'm, I'm worlds away from, from where I was at the beginning of, of treatment, um, which is amazing. But my main um, symptoms for, for so many years were um, chronic fatigue, um, which is, you know, for anyone who hasn't experienced fatigue, it's very hard to describe because it's a completely different world to, to even exhaustion. Um, it's a different sort of level to that. Um and then I also had a symptom called air hunger, which is basically Lyme disease and its co-infections um, eats the oxygen in your red blood cells. So I felt oxygen deprived a lot of the time. Um, and then I also had chronic pain. Um, and those were my, my main three, three symptoms. Listening to Michaela there in talking about um, the reaction, you know, that, that she's experienced quite recently and, and over the years. Like, do you ever get that? Do you get that kind of approach or behaviour from people, Trudy? Um, yeah, it's sort of, um, I've definitely had experiences where, you know, I've been at my worst and say, for example, I get hit with a really bad flare and I'm out and I... Often, for a very long time, I used the walking stick when I was very bad. And if I had that, then it made my illness visible. And so people responded to it very differently. And so I would be offered a, a seat on the bus or there wouldn't be any sort of eyebrows raised if I used the disability toilet in um, public places. But if I didn't have my uh, walking stick with me um, and I was, you know, there'd be often times where I'd be on a bus and a person would get on who had a, some kind of visible disability or was older, like an elderly person, and would, you know, <laughs> sort of give me a very kind of scathing look because I wasn't getting up and I would have to explain, like, I physically can't move. And because I'm young and I don't look like I'm ill, you know, it's it's hard for people to believe uh, that you are unwell, you know. You nearly find yourself probably having to to unnecessarily explain yeah, yeah, and and that's and then that's extra labor, you know, that you shouldn't really have to be doing when you're extremely unwell, um, and it also means that you, um, it's quite hard having to expose yourself over and over again and be that vulnerable just to sort of advocate for yourself, um, 
but yeah, yeah, that has happened. But I have to say that um, my sort of worst experiences uh, with Lyme have more come from the medical establishment rather than the public. Um, like there's been just years of gaslighting and um, not believing. Even even when I had a di- diagnosis, like I, I think after maybe my sixth time going to A&E like with the Lyme diagnosis when I would be in a really bad flare and not even be able to move my legs or lift my head and I would go to A&E and I would be told you know see it go see a psychiatrist or this is all in your head and I sort of had to learn this lesson of like okay when I am extremely unwell I can't rely on the services that are supposed to support me because they won't. Is the not being believed essentially, Trudy, is, is is that nearly the hardest part yeah. of it? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, when I first became sick, um, there was a period uh, where, you know, my GP was like, oh, you're really stressed, go on holiday. I went to visit my, my cousin in France and spent an entire week not able to move in bed and had to come home in a wheelchair. And I went to went straight back to my GP and my G- and I, at this point I was un- unconscious for about 23 hours a day um, and my GP was like oh it must be anxiety I'll, I'll prescribe you Valium and I remember just sobbing in front of them because I was like I this isn't I can't move my legs you know like can you please just acknowledge what's going on for me and, and actually see me um, and that was sort of the first, the beginning of like, because mm. I think I, I think before then I had always sort of trusted. Okay, you're sick, you go to the doctor. You know, there's a there's a nar- there's a kind of trajectory of you're sick, you go to the doctor, they help you, you get better. Um, and that was the first time where I that that wasn't true. You know, the doctors weren't going to help me, and I couldn't see a way out of it. Some of the texts coming in on this as well. Patrick says the immunocompromised might look fine but have to use accessible toilets for safety's sake. Nobody ought to take the book um, by the by the cover, says Patrick. Mairead says hands up for the lupus patients of the country as well. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. We're talking about living with an invisible illness. I was speaking to um, radio presenter Michaela Hayes there about an experience she had recently shouted at and verbally abused um, for using an accessible toilet. People not happy, looking for her to offer an explanation. Um, She just didn't happen to have her bag with her at the time she was at a gig. Ruby is with us on the line as well. Ruby, have you an invisible illness or what's your experience? Hi, how are you? Good. Yes, I do indeed. Um, and I suppose my my experience would be quite similar. Um, I do have an invisible uh, disability. I have a urostomy. Um, I'm unsure. Do you know what that that is, or does your listeners know Just what ex- that is? Explain, explain, <clears throat> um, Ruby, for people. So I have a bag on the outside of my body. It collects um, urine. A lot of people have colostomy bags, which uh, collects other waste from the body. So mine is slightly different. And there is not many people that have this type of bag. And it's 
it is invisible. Uh, well, it's invisible at times. Mm. It's not always invisible, but it's invisible at times. Um, prior to that, I was a solely a catheter user, um, which was which is a tube that I would put into my urethra to drain my bladder. So you've been listening to Michaela in the past few minutes and the experience that she shared, this kind of nearly challenge from people. Is that something you've experienced, Ruby? Yes, uh, daily. I, uh, it's, it's, it is also one of the hardest parts of living with uh, disability because um, you're judged on how you look and you're, you're, it kind of adds to the element of the daily struggle that I have anyways in my life. Um, because you get no support or you don't get any understanding at all. Um, I've been targeted on numerous occasions um, from people say that because I need to use a disabled bathroom and because I'm able-bodied, I would receive an awful lot of abuse coming out of the bathrooms um, from people who might be in wheelchairs or people who are on crutches. I would get that quite a lot. And what they they just ask, you know, what would they say, Ruby? Well, I had one lady in particular who kind of stays in my mind a lot because it upset me so much was I was in Dunn's stores and I was using the disabled bathroom and I came out on the lady outside with a crutch and she actually hit me with her crutch. Are you serious? And yeah, yeah. Um, saying, what was I doing in the bathroom? Um basically because she judged me on how I looked. And, yeah, she hit me actually across the chest with a her crutch. And what did you say to her? Did you go on to explain her? Um, I explained, well, I was annoyed, and I yeah. explained that not all um, disabilities are visible. And, actually, I shouldn't have to explain no, myself. Know, but, but, yeah, it is harder when, when you're like that because you feel judged not everybody says anything but like if somebody is waiting outside the door that's in a wheelchair or whatever you feel bad that you've been in there nearly because um, you know you feel you're taking up their space but I actually need space um, when I was a catheter user I needed space for um, just space to do what I needed to do or if I had a bag that I had attached to my body that I needed to hang it up while I was draining it or now because I have a bag attached to my body Mm. I need space but there's also other challenges like there's no bins for putting our waste products into if you're in a like if you're in a normal cubicle the cubicle is so small that you don't have the space to do that you need to that you need and also then you don't have a bin to put your catheter or your used bags or whatever it may be and Michaela and, mentioned know. as well, even just even just as she said, the privacy of it. Yeah, there's no privacy. No, yeah. there isn't. Yeah, it's very difficult. And, you know, there's nothing in Ireland where I know in the UK that you can get a, it's called a blue key. It's a key that you have on your person to open the bathroom bathroom because I don't know if you ever go into a restaurant or a fast food joint the disabled bathrooms are always locked and you have to go and ask and okay. why you need it. 
Uh, tag- no, that's very, very difficult. Yeah. A text in from a listener who says, my husband is visually impaired and it's the same issue. He links my arm rather than using the cane, but we get strange looks if we park in disabled parking spots. It's also easier for him to navigate um, accessible toilets, but because he can walk in, he gets strange looks from people. It's very annoying to keep explaining that he has a visual impairment. Zita's with us on the line as well. Zita, how have, um, well, how have you been treated because of your invisible illness? Um, hi, thank you very much for having me on. Um, yeah, I've been diagnosed with ME for uh, around about 35 years now. So most of my lifestyle, unfortunately, has been um, the, has been ruined by this particular illness. My, my main, I suppose it falls in between two things. It falls between your medics, the doctors, and, and anybody in a medical profession and how they treat you. And then also then it's friends and family because they don't understand and people seem to uh, think it's a bit like, you know, the pregnant woman always complains that people always want to touch, touch their belly. Well, it, with ME, you find everybody has, have you tried vitamin C? Have you tried uh, going for a, a, a walk? Have you tried yoga? Have you tried, you know, as if you hadn't even thought of these mm. things. Everybody's so you a doctor. get that from one, exactly. And they all, when you sit down, they all understand you and they all have lots of sympathy for you. But when they want you to go to a party or they want you to go for lunch or they want you to do something, then they just cannot understand why you just can't get off your big fat arse and go and do all these things. Right. And you can't. So you become the most wonderful liar because you realize that if you say what's truthful is, I'm just too tired, I can't go, I haven't got the energy. Um, and if I do go, it'll make me worse. They don't understand that. And then it becomes a big issue. Whereas the easiest thing to do is say, oh, listen, I'm not too sure whether my husband, my friend, my mother, my whatever, has something on that day. I'll get back to you. And then you get back with, I can't. Now, I mean, I've even done that at Christmas where my husband's been away at sea. I've pretended to my family that I've actually gone to sea, to, to be at sea with my husband over Christmas. Okay. And I've actually stayed at home alone in my apartment, in my, in my house, and hidden from everybody for Christmas so I could rest. That's how bad it gets. But the medics are the worst. <laughs> um, they don't learn about ME. They have no idea what chronic fatigue is. They have no understanding, and they don't wish to have any understanding of it. And um, so what they do, the only thing they do learn, I think, in, 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 in however, however many years of medical school, is they learn how to eye roll. Um, and the minute they know that you've got ME, you are dropped like a hot potato. Okay. And the eyes go up to heaven as if to say, oh, God, not another one. Um, and they will not take you seriously. Um, they don't. Uh, they they don't understand. They seem to think that exercise. It, when you don't exercise, you're getting lazier. So therefore, you should work your way through it, which is the worst thing that you can mm-hmm. do. Um, and they um, they know it all. But they, the, probably the hardest thing with them is they won't, They're not honest. If they actually turn around and said to you, "I know nothing about ME." Um, you'd have more respect for them. But instead, they pretend they know it all oh, and they, they okay. gaslight you. Okay. So I've been told, for example, I've been told, um, um, have a baby. I've been told uh, you're a bored housewife. I've been told you've got too much stress in your life. You haven't got enough stress in your life. You're homesick for Ireland. This is when I was in the UK. Um, I've even been told my brother had died. Ah, 
that's the reason. It's bereavement. You're stressed. Have some counselling. So there's always nearly a sort of a, an explanation you feel, Zita, that's kind of been, been brought in for it. Let me bring in Peter as well, Zita, if you don't mind. Peter's joining us too because this is an experience, Peter, that you've shared as well. Yeah, hi, Guy. I'm, I'm listening here really intrigued by everybody's contributions because uh, there's so many things that I can relate to. Um, I had the relief of a diagnosis of arthritis. Um, I was in my mid-twenties and not something that I was expecting or knew anything about. Mm. Um, so, And then you have to live with it. And you, I've gone through, as Prudy described, all doctors maybe saying that things are in your head and you're making it up or it couldn't be as bad as you think it is. Um, and you then have to try and advocate for yourself and you have all these other things that go with us. And it, it's, it's a very, very difficult situation. And even up there to Zeta with um, trying to, to negotiate the, the medical field when you don't know anything about what you're going through. Um, fortunately for me, I've been very lucky with all the rheumatologists I've seen who have um, done their utmost to find treatments and, and medications and plans okay. to help me out and to, and to make it easy for me. Yeah. But, but I, I went through the mill getting a diagnosis of seeing lots of specialties because there's lots of different symptoms uh, involved in the arthritis. And I did have those doctors who said it was all in my head and counselling would help and uh, all I needed was this or all I needed was that. And it, it was very, very tough. The the point around, you know, even just um, being able to use like accessible toilets, even even on that level, Peter, because there's quite a lot of people actually getting in touch, you know, about mm-hmm. that point. Is that a that sort of, a you know, um, negative experience or having to deal with verbal abuse from people? Is that something that you've ever experienced or witnessed? I, I certainly uh, I've experienced it with regard to, to car parking myself. Um, definitely at the beginning, I was I was severely limited in my mobility, and and I had to get a, a parking bag for myself. Um, and yet I'm I'm six foot two. I'm I was in my mid twenties. Um, nothing uh, very visual about what I was going through and the pain and discomfort and and real immobility I was experiencing. And I needed to open the door as wide as possible to get out of my car. Um, and so I needed those those parking spaces. But I got all the eye rolling. I got the comments. I, I, I fortunately didn't get the physical assaults that have been described. Um, but I did experience all of that. And, and it's know, hard, I'm sure. It's very hard to, to, to you know, it, to take that. It's it's awful. It's it, it because you're you're going through so many emotions of dealing with a chronic condition that is invisible. You losing your your self confidence, as was described, missing out on family events. You're missing out on maybe employment. You're missing out on so many different levels. Uh, relationships. Uh, um, uh, Michaela was described as not not dating. Yeah. I, was, I was embarrassed about uh, what was ahead of me with living with arthritis. So I I broke off all relationships and wasn't considering that that was a possibility for me in the future. So you know it it. It impacts on so many levels that when somebody adds to that by looking down their nose at you and saying mm-hmm. you're not entitled to use these things, and even for people with arthritis trying to use the toilets as you described, you know there are times when your mobility is so bad or you're you're looking to um, you're on crutches or that that makes it visible. But even without that, you might be recovering from a surgery, you might be in particular pain and a flare, 
of, of your of your symptoms and just need that extra bit of support. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it's 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 remarkable the number of people getting in touch with similar stories. Peter, to yourself and and Zeta and Ruby as well. Lunchtime live with Andrea Gilligan weekdays at midday on News Talk.